Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Silent Generals. This is the September edition of the Silent Generals. God has been good to us, gracious, and we have wonderful personalities that he has brought on board for us to share with them, um, have deep conversations around their stories, their triumphs, and all that the Lord has been able to take them through, and how they have recorded successes in their journey, and how the journey has been so far and on this edition i'm so delighted i'm honored you know it's it's been back to back in the faithfulness of god how that will reach out and we'll have these awesome personalities honor our invitation without you know uh, taking us to the rigors of finding out who are we what are you trying to do and all that and uh, it's such an honor to have a general in the house today on this edition in September. We have the grace to have DDK. In fact, we call her General DDK. You know, I, I, it's such an honor because, you know, I, I was sharing with someone, I said, meeting you is, is, is meeting someone that um, that's truly inspires. And, and I'm so glad that, you know, we're doing this today with her because I know she has deep insights to share with us and she's passionate about the next generation and um, I'm, I'm just going to go straight into uh, in, uh, to to share about so that we can know who we have on board today then we'll start right about you know listening to her listening to the words of wisdom she has to share with the next generation and all that the lord has put in her heart for us today so we have the honor of having Debola Dijikurumi. I'm going to read about to us. She is a transformational catalyst, new breed of African vision into global prominence through our work. She is founder of Immense Coaching Company, a personal transformation coach. Executive Director of Ideation of Africa, a pumped at Kingdom Women Global Alliance. She is a Thomas International Certified Workplace Personality Profile Analyst, Certified Job Evaluation Analyst, and an experienced corporate trainer. She is also a certified visionary leadership coach by the Oleg Konovalov Global Coaching Certification. Our beloved learned true play approach awakens excellent team dynamics and achieves memorable training for our clients. Debola was learning consultant at Phillips Consulting and has been on the resident faculty of organizations, including the World Bank, Faith Foundation, Awesome Treasures Foundation, AD Consulting, Leap Africa, VFD Bridge, Orlando Ajayi LP, amongst others. At immense coaching company, Debola leads a 50,000 plus strong tech-driven global community of change makers in 99 countries using a breakthrough coaching methodology to elevate their impact, authority, and legacy leadership. Since 2014, Immerse has produced over 80 courses and, and runs three different subsidiaries, including its recently launched Men Only Coaching Ham, 
Our transformational work has been featured on TV, international news, and awards. Through Ideation of uh, Africa, she runs a social profit accelerator, which supports Africa's nonprofits, innovators, civil society organizations, and public sector agencies with executive education, collaborative platforms, funding opportunities, and adversary. Ideation Orb is also the host of Development Dialogue, Nigeria's leading development sector conference since 2015. We in Flickers of Hope Foundation has also benefited this year, last year, this year, on the trainings by Ideation Orb Africa. Debola has been severally recognized for outstanding leadership impact and has received awards, including 2014 New Leader for Tomorrow in order of business government and parliament of the the Crans Monata Forum in Geneva and a word conferred before several presidents and world leaders. She served twice as a mentor jury of the Queen's Young Leader Awards, a UK government fellowship that honors exceptional young leaders in the Commonwealth. In 2018, she was selected by the US government as one of Africa's most promising young leaders and a Mandela Washington Fellow. In 2019, she was listed as one of the 100 most inspiring Nigerian women and announced as Nigeria's leading coach at the 2021 Motherland Awards. She continues to serve as a youth representative at the Nigerian Economic Summit Group at the 2018 Mandela Washington Annual Summit in Washington, D.C., Debola delivered the electrifying virus speech on how to fry fish to solve a wicked problem, where she shared heartfelt insight for African young leaders willing to fix the continent's toughest challenges. DDK, as she is fondly called, is spoken in three continents, global development practitioners, a purpose-driven life. So I'm sure listening to this bio, you're truly inspired that this is a this is a young woman that the Lord has raised for such a time as this to actually show young people the possibilities that exist in actually pursuing God and pursuing his purpose for your life. And so with great joy, Ma, we want to welcome you to Silent Generosity September. And we want to say it's such a privilege and honor to have you. So we're going to start beyond the bio. We just want you to say a little bit to us about yourself and where you're coming from and where you are today. Thank you so much for having me. I, if I knew that you were going to be reading out the bio, I would have um, ensured we supplied an abridged one, you know. <laughs> but thank you so much. It's a great work that has been done by the Flakers of Hope Foundation. And yeah, I'm definitely excited to be here. I am Debola Dejikurumi, married to my lover and friend, Dejikurumi, and we are raising three children together. We live in the city of Lagos in Nigeria. And we also pastor a, a local assembly together uh, called the Baptizing Church in Lekki, um, founded by our senior pastors, Pastor Dilian Morin Oshimakinde. Um, yeah, 
at the very heart of who I am across my expressions, immerse coaching company, Ideation Hub Africa, what I do with the Visionary Compass Accelerator Program, uh, Kingdom of Kingdom Women Global Alliance, Firebrand Movement, and then pastoring at the Baptizing Church. At the heart of those different uh, opportunities and platforms to serve is just um, a calling to be an equipper. That is what is at the heart of who I am. I am born an equipper and a catalyst. I have a unique gifting from God to help people, institutions, nations um, birth their higher, higher potential. And yeah, I generally love to see people grow. I love to see geniuses being released and talent being unleashed so that people can fulfill their purpose and change the world. I grew up in uh, what you call maybe a middle-class Nigerian family. Um, I was born in the mid eighties. Yeah, is that mid eighties? Early eighties. <laughs> I, I, I forget my age often and my husband loves about it. I was born in the early eighties, uh, second of three children, first girl. I've got an elder brother and a younger sister. Um, I would say a spiritual family. My, my parents, are now pastors, but when we're growing up, my mom was maybe the most spiritual person. But my father and mother had a very strategic approach to parenting. It was value-based and it was specific, i.e. they really sought to understand each of the children and they, their parenting was really, was really aligned to what they recognized about our unique personalities, giftings, and interests. Um, and it, it was a very love-filled, validation-filled uh, family. And we were constantly challenged you know, to be our best and to give our best. I think those things shaped how I see the world today and how I respond to my calling and my assignment. So, um, Didi I'm going to take you. I'm going to take you back a little bit because um, I just want to share, you know, my first ex experience of knowing you as a person, and um, what I've seen transpired in your life. Because I, I usually tell people that see, there's nothing God cannot do, and and that God has a way of finding you as a person where you are and take you on a journey. And I, I remember the first time I met you was back in, in the university OAU then. Um, and the first encounter I had with you was uh, when you started God's Great Girls, the GGG. And, um, you know, I, I, it was for me the first time, because from where, where the background I was coming from, I, I was just, you know, a, a regular church goer. And I feel if you come to the university, you know, just do your thing, finish your school and go. And the first encounter I had with you was seeing a, a, a student with so much passion and zeal to bring other students on the campus into an experience that, I, I want to. I just want to ask you. At that point, when you were you were on the you were in, in the university, what was that? What was that thing that pushed you beyond what your what other students were doing, how they were living? What pushed you beyond the boundaries of your own comfort into bringing other people into an experience that you have had or an experience that you have seen and you want to see that they they they, they get into it. So that's a great question. And I've been asked 
uh, you know, a lot in the past, maybe not a lot, but sufficiently about my campus years and what made me that person who was um, just so passionate to see others grow. And, you know, I was literally a part-time student in a sense, because I was so passionate about that work of ministry. And um, obviously it's morphed into what we now do at Kingdom Women Global Alliance. I'm going to be honest with you, my sister. The honest truth is I didn't know any other way. Mm. You know, what I mean is I wasn't doing it from a standpoint of this is the right thing to do. I was just following this relentless burden and burning that was in my heart. Mm. I didn't know that it was possible for you to see a future and not move in that direction. So I'm going to really just give credit to whom credit is due. It has got to be how God wired. Like I have never been in a space in my life where I carry conviction and I don't act on that conviction. (laughs) I don't know anything else to do myself. If If I'm impressed in my heart with a vision, you can be sure hundred out of a hundred times, the moment I actually see that this is what I'm supposed to do, I'm going to go in that direction. Even if it's a path of high resistance, that is the journey of my life. I live by conviction and I can't even say, okay, to balance it a bit, let me, let me share three things that I think impacted on being that person. The first is what I'm sharing. There's a way I've been wired. Um, there's, wow. there's a way that God made me. I am, my entire life story is just a bundle, is a a summary of just an anointed, uh, an anointed grace for obedience. That is even long before I really started to know the Lord and really grow, I live by conviction. I live by truth. It's how I'm wired, right? But what helped me uh, lean into how I'm wired? Everyone has got a wiring for, for, for their lives and their destiny, but not everybody is leaning into that wire. So I would say two things that really then moved me in my youth, you know, into being that person who could birth uh, an organization on campus and have all these young women like myself, young ladies like myself join. The first would be after our first year in the university, we had this 11 month break. I don't know if you remember it. It was this very lengthy break we had. And when I was at home, those 11 months, I read about 32 or so of Mike Mudok's books. I, got, I would go into the bookstore. I mean, I was, what, 17 years old, but I was this voracious reader. And I had the first copy. I think it was, um, the, the, it was Wisdom Seeds, something like that. And then I read this first book. I'm like, what? What level of wisdom is? I was so enthralled. And then I, I went to get more copies. My dad gave me money, said, if you want it, go for it. Drove me to the bookshop. I got more copies, maybe 10 at the time. And then I would be sitting alone, reading, underlining, right? I was so, in. it was such an empowering, I can never forget that that changed my life. I got mm-hmm. back to campus for, for year two. And the thing everybody would typically say is, how old are you? You're like wiser than your years. You're wiser than your years. Everyone started saying that to me. It was just what I have heard from when I was 18, right? It was that book. I would say the second thing is what I shared initially as well. My my parents raised us in such a way that we were expected to lean into who we were more than leaning on others 
Mm. Yeah, we were really raised to pay attention to our giftings, our person, our difference. My parents highlighted the specific traits that made us stand out. And that's what we're praised for. We weren't praised for our academics. We weren't praised mm. for performance. No, there wasn't, there weren't things like, oh, she's so good in math. No, we, that's not the language when I was growing up. It was not, mm. she's so excellent in English. They'll say things like, uh, you know, she's an orator. My mom mm. will say, this your mouth. It will bring you billions of dollars. I'm not kidding. I heard that from when I was like nine years old, seven years old, really young. I heard billions, of, I'm not kidding. Billions of dollars. That's what my mom used to say. Ah, this is my daughter. Your mouth will bring you billions of dollars. That's what so they used to say. It's an affirmation of who you are. Yes, of who you oh. are. So we were, the celebrations were along mm. the lines of your gifts, your uniqueness, your personality, not your academic exploits. No, mm. we're never compared. You see, so to be honest, academically, I was, I wasn't a genius. If you see, I was not first in class, second in class. No, I don't think I ever came first. At best, I think my highest was a third. And the celebration wasn't different from, I would typically be on first 10, typically seventh, ninth, fifth, all through, right? Um, Of course, I tried to now really position myself properly when I got to university and that gave me an edge because I then started to learn if you build a system around your genius, then you can become cream de la cream of your, of your, of your set of that. You know, you can, you can facilitate intelligentsia. I started to learn that, but my point is my parents affirmed who we were. So from childhood, my father would always say things like if Debola has something in her mind, she will do it. Mm. That if something is on her mind that she believes is the right thing, she will do it. You don't have to force her. So they tell me my work for the day or for the week. You know, I'm not the child. You'd be like, shorty ballet. No, this is what you do. This is what you do. This is what you do. If I, if I, if you have my buy-in, I will do it. You can go. It's fine. So I believe those things. I then got into university and it was a no brainer that as my heart was burning, you know, I started after I came back from that Mike Mudok encounter. So I remember coming back to campus and when girls were, having breakups and they'll be crying or if i ask someone what's your purpose in life and they couldn't answer me i'll be like everybody has to know what i know exactly and that's how i started yeah Yeah. wow 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 this is good now now now, um i want to ask you mom you know you've answered you know kind of my second question about your defining moment as a, as a young person, what were those defining moments? I think you've answered that a bit, except you want to just amplify on some other ones that you didn't mention. But, but if that will suffice, we can move on. Yeah, we can move on. Yes, thank you. So I just want to ask you, you know, because I, I, because I know you're, you're, you're going to really speak to this. If you're going to speak to young people, how will you define life from your experience? from your wealth of knowledge, from the different people you've come across and the different stages that God has taken you through, how will you define life? Hmm, That's such a deep, what? That's a real deep question. (laughs) Okay, um, I'm going to define life as a number of things. Allow me to use three top analogies for how I look at life. Number one will be that life is a gift. Life is is a gift. Life is a trust in a sense. Uh, It's a gift that has been handed to you 
And then God has an expectation that how you would live life would be a gift back to him. So I see life first as a gift from God to us. The way we can respond in thanksgiving is how we choose to live our lives, right? Uh, so I see life as a gift. I see it as a treasure box of precious things, right? And to be honest, um, I don't want anybody to hear that and think about it from the point of view of ShopRite or Father Christmas. <laughs> life mm. is a gift in a different kind of way. It's a gift not because everything in that treasure box is palatable to you, but everything in that treasure box is going to lead you on. If you cooperate with God, it's going to lead you on to a powerful future that's got hope and is brimming with promise. So that treasure box um, has candies. Let me see. It looks like my internet is funny. Can you still hear me? Yes, I can still hear you, Claire. Okay, fantastic. Um, so that treasure box, I mean, of course, it's got candies, like exciting experiences, mm. beautiful opportunities, fantastic friendships, even romantic relationship, you know, uh, love mm. in your life. But it's also got things that could really feel bitter to the mouth, like the loss of a loved one, grief, mm. a difficult background, you know, uh, an ex a health challenge, a struggle you face, a disappointing experience, rejection, doors mm. closed against you. But everything in that treasure box comes together to unleash the potential that you carry on your inside, if you allow it. Mm. Come together to help you, you know, um, step into that future that God has designed for you. So number one, life is a gift. Um, yeah. Mm. Number two, life is a journey. Life is a journey. Um, life requires process as the bridge between potential and possibilities. Life is the bridge. Life allows you experience what you call process. There are some things that you there. Uh, there are some things that you have, but you are not going to be able to access now until you step into a becoming process right? Mm -hmm. So life is a journey. Life affords us an opportunity to progressively mature from seizing to seizing. And mm -hmm. that is the architecture of time. So you would find that in biological timing, there is a journey. You start off being born, you're an infant, gradually you become a toddler, gradually become a child, and then you become um, an adolescent, a young adult, you're fully grown, and on and on like that. But underneath that biological architecture of a journey is also a spiritual architecture of a journey. Now, what I must warn a young person about is because you are growing biologically does not mean that you are growing in life mm. in a way that can really lead you into destiny, into greatness, into impact, into a life of significance and into wealth. So mm. we must just debunk this expectation that we deserve some things simply because we're a certain age. There are mm. many grown women yeah. who, who are little children in grown women's bodies. There are 30-year-old mm. men who are just 13-year-old boys who have refused to grow, take responsibility, mature in their thinking, uh, you know, and just heal from maybe the pains of their childhood. 
There are men who are still practicing helplessness, a sense of learned helplessness. There are all those things happening, right? And we see a lot of adults who are like broken because they've refused to really grow and take the opportunities life is giving them to mature. So life is a journey and you've got to show up and step into the process that life is calling you into in every season so that you can unlock your next level. That is how next levels are unlocked. There are always demands of each season. If you're sensitive enough, and when you say yes to the demands of this season, you break open to a new level of influence, a new level of revelation, a new level of wisdom, a new level of opportunities. And that's how we keep growing. So I'm just going to put this out there for believers, young believers. You know, when we talk about how God gives you a prophecy that he's going to use you mightily in your generation, right? And your mind is so blown. You're like, yes, yes, yes. God loves me in a different way. And he wants to use my generation. If you don't get, the, whenever you get a prophecy, it's an invitation to process. But yes. what people do is they take that prophecy, they want to bypass the process, and then they want to end at the promise. It never works. And this is what makes some people really become upset at God, like the things you told me, I can't see them happening in my life. Prophecy mm-hmm. is an invitation to process before you can enter into the promise. So life is a journey. And number three, life is warfare. Life is warfare. Uh, but it's not the kind of warfare that we often think it is. It's not the kind of warfare where someone is fighting against you because no one can curse a person that is blessed by God. Mm. So it's not warfare of uh, someone in your village. It's not warfare of uh, this opposition from men, people trying to make you uh, fall, people trying to pull you down. No, but life is still warfare because there, is, uh, there are two spiritual systems at work in the world. There's a system of the kingdom of God and there is a system of the kingdom of darkness and it's real. And underneath a lot of things that we see in the world around us that look chic and funky and nice, e.g. music, media, you know, movies, social media, uh, novels, books, fashion, dress sense, Underneath a lot of the things that seem like pop culture and, you know, nice, funky stuff is spirituality. So there is this ongoing warfare against the soul of every human being. There's an ongoing warfare. The enemy, Satan, who is the prince of this world, is working so hard to distract, to um, defile and destroy anyone, especially the young people. So life is warfare. It's, it's a, a warfare for the soul and a young person must have a determination to follow God, to stand by the right values, not to walk on the dangerous side of life, you see, and to pursue after a sense of purpose and vision that gives you focus over and above the lusts and the distractions of every generation. So those would be my top three definitions for life. Wow. Wow. Those are deep. Those are deep um, points of meditation. Life as a gift, life as a journey and life as warfare. Understanding that is truly understanding life. Thank you so much, Ma. We're so blessed with that. Uh, That will take me to the next question. Ma, I want to ask you. Many young people blame their family. You've spoken about the family you came from, how your parents paid attention to 
to your gifting affirmed who you are from a very young age and you'll be able to carry on in that spirit and um a lot of young people say i, I don't know why i was born into this family everything is not just working does it add up you know, a lot of young people wish they were born into other families. And, you know, family is something that, you know, it, it's it's not like you made a choice to be in that family. You know, you find yourself there. And a lot of people feel the, 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 the foundation of their problems is their family. What will you speak to this? How will you advise a young person? What's the perspective that you have about this? Um, so to be honest, your family plays a significant role in your life. <laughs> it is real, it's real. Um, the family is an important first point of call for paradigm shaping uh, and mindset conditioning experiences. So the family unit is often where our initial um, sense of meaning and frame of reference is created. Our families are like the windows to the world. It is from the experiences we have within our families that we sort of shape our initial uh, framing of meaning about the world. If you see what I mean, that's, that's the first way that we own definitions. And every man, uh, rises or falls to the degree of his definitions and perceptions. So our family is critical. It's where we first experience love or the absence of sin. It's where subconscious conditioning is framed. It's where we begin to create definitions about the world around us. It's also where we, um, we get a first sense of appreciation or otherwise for our gifting and our role in the world, the, the role that we can play in, in changing mm. the world. Um, and that's true. Now, I said all of that to lead you somewhere as a young person. Not, I didn't say it so that um, you can then say, yes, exactly what I'm saying. My family has failed me, <laughs> you know. I'm saying it to you because if you're, you, you, you're thinking through your childhood experiences, and you're now figuring that, I think I came from a dysfunctional family. And a dysfunctional family is not necessarily a broken home, right? That is, in fact, the most pedestrian definition of a, of a mm. dysfunctional family. There are many families that uh, did not separate or the parents didn't divorce. But right within that system is a lot of dysfunction, right? So if you're looking at your family and you're seeing dysfunction, like, absentee parents who were mm. never really present, whose work were the rivals uh, that you had, uh, or parents who didn't know how to give or receive love, or you didn't have examples and models who showed the right values and principles to live for, or there was sibling rivalry and sibling competition where you had to work hard to outperform your, your siblings so that you can receive mm -hmm. the love because the love was not... Um, it was not distributed evenly. Uh, if there was partiality, if you were told to do things that violated your conscience, if there was no, if, if vision was not present and everybody did what they liked, if discipline became a form of abuse that left you with either physical or emotional trauma, whatever, those are highlights of dysfunction. And to be honest, about 90% of the 
average African family has a degree of dysfunction in it. Mm. <laughs> That's just the honest truth. So the first thing for a young person, the first thing is forgive your family's dysfunction. Forgive mm. your family's dysfunction. If people knew better, they would do better. And wounded people wound others. So wounded mm. people wound people. These are the reasons why you have to forgive your family's dysfunction. Because number one, many times your parents and the significant adults in your life did what they knew to do. They thought in their minds many times that their approach was to preserve you and shape you for the future. Number two, many of, of, of our parents' generation and the parents of the next generation did not have the access we have today to men mental health care, to transmissional insight and you know, healing experiences. Even within the church, the church structure in the previous generation didn't offer you an opportunity to emotionally heal. You were expected to serve a God you didn't necessarily build a relationship with and get that oh, done yeah. on a period, right? So many times they also carried baggage. The third big reason that you have to forgive your family's dysfunction is life is already going to place a demand on you. Every, every person aspiring for success, life is going to place a demand on you. So you have to travel light. You know, we said mm. life is a journey. You have to travel light. If you carry the baggage of hurts and disappointments and pain and unforgiveness, it's going to weigh you down and you will, mm. it will be tougher, you know, to, to really thrive and enter into the purpose and the destiny that, you know, you can enter into in your life. So you have to forgive your family's dysfunction. And there's a whole different conversation I could be getting into, but I wouldn't at this time about that. Here's what I would then say. You can then say, Didi, okay, I want to forgive my family's dysfunction, but how do I triumph the limitations that have come from being in a dysfunctional family or having a family that didn't really set me up for success in my life? There are three big things I would encourage you to do. The first one is, um, uh, there's something that I call it that is not coming to me in this moment. Okay, we call it set up an alternative positive family, APF, mm. set up an alternative positive family. And this is so critical. Even people who come from stable families still require other types of exponential communities to grow their paradigm and to shift the way they see the world and to open up opportunities for more love because we need love. We need a lot of love. Love is the lifeblood of every truly successful person who is not, uh, who is not dysfunctionally successful. <laughs> who is, you know, because there's some people who seem successful, but there's a lot of dysfunction. It's not true yeah. success. They are angry. They've got money and influence, but they are angry. They have broken values. They compromise on the truth. That's not the kind of success you should desire. You should desire success that can, you can go to sleep at night. Your peace of mind is intact. You can stand before God knowing that you have done right before him, even when nobody's watching. That's mm. what you should desire. So set up an alternative positive family. And this is where you start to think about don't run into the hands of the opposite sex. This happens to ladies a lot. No, what, is, what you are in search of is healing. And you can't try to mask your wound by romance or sexual relationships. No, you are still uh, trying to attain pseudo healing that will hurt you more. It will hurt you more. I can tell you for free. 
there's so many grown women when they sit with me in coaching sessions, the, the brokenness is deep and is connected to the choices they made in search of love. You are in search of healing. And it mm. is healing. It, it, it's right in the midst of healing. You are going to get the right kind of love, healthy love that makes you see yourself as a person of value, not, not as an object of sexual affection. And, mm. and that's both for women and men, actually. Anyway, set up alternative positive families, local assemblies that are spiritually uh, grounded and biblically sound, volunteer opportunities with organizations that have interest areas that matter to you, whether it's education or healthcare or orphans and vulnerable children or elderly people and widows, right? Um, join organizations that also model the values that matter to you and give you an opportunity to thrive. Join um, mentorship groups. Find a mentor. Prayerfully look forward to being mentored, being discipled, being taught. Connect with groups, coaching communities, mentoring communities, ed educational communities, professional networks, where you can open your mind and you can also open your heart to meaningful relationships different from uh, whatever level of dysfunction you experience in your family. The second big thing is... As you begin to look at what, uh, as when, after you discover this dysfunction in your family, the next question you must ask is, what degree of my family's dysfunction have I inherited? Mm. That's the next big question. You see, because you cannot grow up in an environment and escape being like that environment, at least to a degree. Yeah. It's impossible. Because in growing years, you were just an open book. You were so susceptible. You weren't guarding your heart against anything. And it was just all coming in. You then must ask the question, what degree of my family's dysfunction have I inherited? Right? Despite how excellent my parents are, as I started to grow up, there were things that I then started to see about my dad and my mom that I'd inherited. And I wasn't sure that it was meant to be part of my own original divine design. And so I had to start expunging inheritances do you see that wearing great and preserving the ones that were great and i wanted to hand over to my own children so you then start to use knowledge acquisition of higher knowledge gradually and you must pace yourself out it can take a three-year journey where you start to say okay i acquired anger i acquired deception always walking my way to get what i want i acquired timidity never feeling I'm enough. I acquired a strong inferiority complex. I acquired a poverty mentality, you see. All of those, you now start to use knowledge. Knowledge comes from reading. Knowledge comes from listening to leaders and speakers. Knowledge comes from being coached, being mentored, being trained, being discipled. Knowledge comes from internships. You just must go for knowledge that helps you close that gap. And then the third thing is the principle of purposeful action. No matter how much you acquire in knowledge, it's not knowledge acquired that changes your life. It is knowledge applied that changes your life. I feel like this is where many people continue to fail. People come into coaching programs and I always say to them, don't put all this money down and you won't do the work. The reason you look at my life and you say, I want DDK to coach me. It's not really because of my knowledge. It's primarily because of my proofs. I take that knowledge and as God helps me, I want to apply. I want to make a difference with my life. You see, so the principle of purposeful action, step-by-step, step, the knowledge you're acquiring, you start to apply them. The goal is do better than your family did for you. Do better. 
You can't complain if you're not going to change anything. And I hope that helps someone. Yes, thank you so much. I, I, I believe it will help a lot of people because you, you, just, you just gave us um, uh, life-changing tips that would take anybody. You know, when you said measuring the dysfunction, before you even spilled it out, I was like, okay, almost all of us came from a, a certain level of dysfunction. Yes. In yes. our families, even stable families still has dysfunctional parents because a lot of our parents, what they could do to for us, like you rightly said, is if they knew better, they would have done better. Is to the left the degree yes. of their knowledge that they were able to yes. impact. And children like open book, you just keep receiving it, you keep absorbing these things yes. in consciously and unconsciously. Wow, that's so great, ma'am. That's going to take me to the next question about mistakes. You know, a lot of young people get their life altered. There's a particular young person that we encountered in our work, and she got pregnant uh, while in school. And uh, my parents, you know, you know, like African parents that are very strict, not thinking about the emotional um consequence of some of their actions decided to just show them that you disgraced our family you've rubbed our name in the mud and you know she went from depression to the fact that she lost the baby she made a mistake and she just felt you know at this point nothing good can come out of this nazareth this is it and that affected her a lot and a lot of young people are struggling with mistakes different mistakes they've made the friends the company of friends they've kept and all that i want you to speak to us about mistakes and how it defines the life of a young person okay that's such a great question and uh maybe the first thing i would say is um the degree of wisdom that you have will be directly proportional to um, the susceptibility you're going to have to error, i.e. your error margin closes proportional to the degree of wisdom, life's wisdom, wisdom for life and living that you acquire and apply. And that's an important thing to start with. Um, so let me tell you what I'm finding. I'm meeting more and more men and women who are my contemporaries, who have had very minimal degrees of life-altering mistakes in their life. And it's uh, the, the line that I see connecting them is they had wisdom, access to wisdom from an early age. Why am I saying this? I'm not saying it to discourage those who have made mistakes, but I'm saying it to encourage if you are young, that there is a way that you can order and live your life, that you can be on a path. And, and this is not about perfection. Things will still happen, right? And we will trust God to help us and to preserve us. But there is a way you can order your life that you reduce your error margin and you don't fall, in, fall into pits. Because if you fall into a pit, you are going to need recovery time. Mm. You are going to... Uh, mistakes have consequences. You know, uh, I know that some people actually find this thing I do, they don't, they don't like it because I will just first say the truth, the way it is. Mistakes have consequences. If you fall into a ditch, you could lose time. You could lose a good reputation. Sometimes people could lose their lives. So this is important for a young person to know 
that there are consequences and there's a price to pay for foolish decisions, for foolish relationships, right? For foolish choices, for the mismanagement of time, the mismanagement of resources, the mismanagement of money. And let me also say, you cannot choose how to behave and also choose how others respond. So there's no need judging any parent if their child gets pregnant and they say, this is too hard for us to bear. Don't judge them. You made a decision too. Do you see? So don't judge them. Parents warn a lot. I don't like this. Don't go and embarrass us. Don't do this. Then children disregard all of that. They go ahead and they disregard and dishonor their parents' emotions, dishonor the sacrifices they've made, dishonor the financial commitments, and they go and do funny things. People go to, to private universities. Final year, the parents discover that the guy has not been paying school fees from part two. Those things are hard. Huh. They are hard. So your parents are human beings and they have you know, expectations about who you should become. So you can choose your behavior and choose other people's response as well. You uh. see, having said all of that, if you've made a mistake, the precious thing about life, and it, it is out of God's wisdom, only God can create a product that is that epic. Uh. Life is God's, is God's product. God manufactured life. God is the brain behind the idea called life. So his design thinking is, is epic. God designed life in a way that you can have multiple bounce backs, several bounce backs. You have multiple opportunities to start all over again. So far there is breath in your nostril, you can start again. And this is not to say go about on the dangerous lane and live your life anyhow. I've already settled that. I'm now saying if you've made a mistake, there is no mistake in this world. Listen to me that is fatal enough to destroy God's purpose for your life. Oh, if you believe it, you are proud. You are, you are overestimating your mistake above the genius of God's purpose. Oh. You, do you see what I mean? You are taking yourself too seriously. If you think there's something you can do that writes you off permanently from still fulfilling a life of meaning and destiny, no, that's not accurate. You might take longer because of the detours that you've taken. And you might learn the hard way. You might miss some opportunities. You might lose some friends, but you can be back on your feet again with the right guidance, uh, a, a humble heart, and a willingness to get it right by the principle of purposeful action. You definitely can be back on your feet again. Wow. Wow. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you for, 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 for um, setting the pace by actually warning. You know, yeah. it, it, that, that warning is so apt. Every young person must understand. And, and I love that quote. You can't, you can't decide your own actions and decide other yeah. people's responses as no. well. So there are dangerous, dangerous steps you will take as a young person that you will, you will live to see these consequences. Yeah. And you would wish you never took that step. Yes. But there are multiple chances for bounce backs. That I love that. So you can get it right again with proper guidance. Wisdom. Wisdom is critical. Yes. Wisdom is critical. Yes. You can't keep doing the same thing and expect a different result. You need to change. No good. You need to find the right guidance. Wow. Thank you so much, ma, for that wisdom. Um, I, I want to ask 
you know, this is like the second to, the, to our last question. The, the spate of um, moral decadence in our society, the values in our system that are gradually being eroded, the things that were, were people will bat an eyebrow and say, ah, no, this thing, mm -mm. It's not normal. It's not right. You know, I, I, I saw the post you, you made on Instagram some, some days back and I was excited because, you know, um, speaking to some of these issues, it, it looks as if you're just old fashioned, you know, you're not trending, you know, what's there, you know, this is what we see in music videos, this, this is what is trending by the 21st century, and we're even crossing. So what, what are you talking about? A lot of young people are being carried away by this sway in the media, this moral decadence, this, this, um, this pictures, videos that gradually accept the unacceptable. And, you know, that it's just normal. And even within, within, you know, the church gradually is creeping in, you know, things that you would, uh, people would cringe and say, no, that's not acceptable. It's gradually becoming acceptable. But I wanted to speak to young people about values. What are the do's and don'ts? What are the things that you most hold in high esteem as a young person that is going somewhere? Mm, that's such a powerful question. Um, so first thing is, we are not going to see a reduction in the darkness mm. uh, in a general sense. And I'm going to explain it a bit. The world is going to get darker and darker, right? The world is going to get darker and darker. The world is going to get more daring and push to new limits of perversion and obscenity, mm. you see, as we come to the close of the age, the end of time is upon us. So the world is going to get darker and darker. And uh, the way that we break through that darkness um, and really begin to rescue and deliver those who have become slaves to perversion is by um, being invaded with so much light, Mm. And is the light of God is that kind of light that can break through the darkness. Now, I'm not yet talking about those who are of the light being influenced by darkness. Have you noticed? I'm mm. saying that to as a person of the light to break through the darkness, because, you know, it's a different conversation we should be having. The ideal conversation we should be having is what are the tools that a person of kingdom conviction requires to go out there into the perversion and win people for the kingdom. You know, that's the conversation. That is what we're meant to be talking about. But what we are talking about is how can we rescue those of the light from the influences of the dark coming to pull them to the other side? Have you noticed? Yes. Mm. That's what we're saying here. And it's really sad. We're meant to be discussing, you know, people of light are meant to be engaging and saying, what armors have you utilized? What, which of the toolkits are you using these days? And it's, it is shifting the paradigm of people on the other side, drawing them to the light. But it looks right now that the allure of the dark, the, the, the subtle seduction of darkness is gradually swaying the people of the light. The light. And, and my answer to this is simple. 
you cannot be like a person you've not been with. You can't yeah. be like a person you've not been with. I'm sorry if it's, it's going to sound spiritual or religious, but I know the antidote. And I'm just going to say the antidote I know. Mm. Others will share what they know. What I know is if you set your gaze on the face of Jesus Christ, if you come to really know him, you, you can't do otherwise. If, if the light that is within you is really light and not darkness, there will be nothing in you that there will be a twin sibling. I need to break this mm. down. There will be nothing in you that the sensors of darkness can call for. Let me tell you mm. how it works. God help me. Uh, how do I explain it? Whatever appeals to us, whatever uh, you, fall, uh, you fall for and you're tempted by, that thing in the world has in you a correlative. If it doesn't have a correlative that still exists in you, when it calls for you, nothing in you will answer. Mm. No appetite. I don't know if you understand. You have appetite for it. There will be no appetite, yes. Mm. So if you have unresolved appetite for something, uh, Satan is going to bring that thing, not the one you don't have an appetite for. It's Mm. going to bring that thing. If you still have an unresolved appetite to be seen and to be liked, Satan will use social media against you. Well, you are going to become a self-promoter and you will not know because you still have this unresolved appetite. Something is still crying out in you. See me, appreciate me, prefer me. If you have an unresolved appetite for sexual lusts, pornography will call for you. Because mm. there's still something on your inside that is the that is answering. Mm. And I, I just hope I make sense with what I'm saying. It so, makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So it's not a matter of resolutions. Mm. It's first fixing who we are. It's who you are on the inside that shapes how you respond to the world on the outside. On the outside. So go and fix your values. Go back and begin to ask the important questions about what do I really believe? Because what you believe is going to be tested in the days ahead. Yeah. So what do I really believe? Become a student of scriptures. Sit with the scriptures because it's not just an archaic spiritual book so that you can be in the good books of God. No, actually not. What I read today in the Passion Translation was Philippians 2, 3, and 4. And it was like a coaching call with God about some important things that answers the questions on my heart this week. Mm. Anyone can go and read it. It was, it's not a spooky life wisdom that immediately set me straight and and adjusted my thinking. So Mm. be a student of the word, keep the right company. You are always going to listen that can say, Lara, what what was that? What was Mm. that picture you posted? I can still see a bit of what's going on. Just a little mm-hmm. bit, I can see. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't see that. You pull it down immediately. But people don't have those who can say that to them because everybody has mm-hmm. their own truth. Mm-hmm. There's only the truth 
but everybody's got their own truth. So they'd be like, how I saw it is different from how you saw it. And all, mm. all those funny things going on. And then finally uh, would be a lifestyle of praying for yourself that you will not fall into temptation. You know, mm. we're going to need that a lot because when Satan came against Peter, Jesus said, I have prayed for you. For you. Yeah, so that your faith doesn't fail. So we must mm. do that often. It will definitely help us. Wow. Thank you so much, Ma. That, you know, <laughs> I, I love your response because, you know, it's taking us back to the core of who we are. We, we often say, say, say this and um, unashamedly, we, 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 uh, we say we're faith-based um, organizations, not because we want to sound spiritual or make people feel, because this is the truth. You, the kingdom you represent, you will look like it. Mm. You can't you can't you can't look funny you can't look here a bit here there a bit you will actually look like the kingdom you represent if you're representing a kingdom it will show it will show you know what, what when we're mentoring young people and we keep telling them that see it's not about making you feel uh, act as though you're spiritual and we are cake and we're trying to bring you into the old old side of things no it's about a lifestyle you you live from the inside out it will show anywhere you go to when you talk when you dress people will know that this is the kingdom you represent you don't need to shout you don't need to carry a bible and look also no it's about who you are on the inside and you spoke to that i love that it's about who you are on the inside who are you who are you it's so it's a question that every young person must start answering who am i because until you're able to answer that question you are, you, you can't move you can't move because see you know the dichotomy in the kingdom now is of both kingdoms you can't sit on the fence you will fall because like you said man the appetite the appetite in your world oh there's always a yearning there's always a yearning when you see something if you've never eaten fried rice before and you've never tasted it they bring it to you you can't even recognize it to start with yeah. So it's about the appetite. Who was calling? Jesus said the, the prince of the world came and he found nothing. 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 Because there's nothing in me calling to his king. Nothing. So it, it's so important that every young person comes to this truth. And we keep saying this, you know, all of us are serving an agenda. Whether you mm. like it or not, as a young person, you must get it. You know, when this kept said, so this kept rising on my inside. That's the young people, you need to get this. You need to get this. You are serving an agenda. A music video you're watching innocently, something you are serving an agenda. Once they can pull you, once there's something in you that pulls you, it takes just one chord, one thing, it strikes the note in you, and you are gone. And you are gone. And if you're, you're a child of God, listening to this, something is staring in your inside. You know that, yes, this is, God is calling me for better, for greater, as you are listening to this. Because, see, oh, you know, I, I just love what the, the conversation at this point because it's just speaking to the core of who yes. you are. 
yes. it is the core of who we are. You, you, you can't be greater than your master. You can't mm. be greater than your God. If Jesus said, wow. if they, they listen to me, they will listen to you. If they persecuted me, they will they persecute will do them There to is you. nothing you are doing. There's nothing that you become that you will now be a super Jesus. No, you will still be a child under him. He's still the firstborn of, of many brethren. We are all after him. So it's about really coming in line, coming in line. Who am I? Who mm. am I? Who, who am I focusing on? What's my gaze on? You know, so that you, you don't get carried away. You don't get swayed. You don't get carried away. Everything that just comes, just moves you this way and that way. You are steadfast. Okay. You are steadfast. There's no peer pressure or any, any funny waves taking you away from where your feet has been planted. Yes. It's so important. It's so important. DDK, is, I just love, you know, um, your openness of speaking to this particular issue because it's a burning desire. It's yeah. a burning desire. And for as many see. people are serving <laughs> the kingdom mandate, this is a mm. burning desire. Yes. It's a burning desire. You know, you like you rightly said, the conversation should not be uh, those that are in the light. Don't copy them. Don't copy them. Don't look like them. How do we make them look like us? How do they come? How do they come and see that? See, this is not a joke. You need to cross. You need to move. There's no, there's no destiny where you are going to. It's destruction. You need to come to the light. But now it looks as if we're still having tussle within ourselves. No, you're not supposed to be behaving like that. Don't look like them. No, you're not supposed to. No. No. No, as a young person, when you profess Jesus, it, it's a lifestyle. You're, you're not trying to be funny. You're not trying to, to be a monk. No, it's about who you are, who you are, and you take a stand for it. Well, thank you so much, Matt. So much wisdom you're sharing with us. And I just want to go to the next question because this is also something that is so central to how many young people are being are being are being are being um how do I put it are being are being um the, 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 the way the devil is painting this picture about mm. money get rich quick you know everything is about money once you hammer that's it like like you know money has read all things kind of thing you say it's in the bible yes money has read all things get the money any which way you can get it you become powerful mm. once you have it i mm. want to speak to this what, what do you say to young people that have this kind of mindset mm. hmm. you know I, my i could say many things but the first thing uh, to say here is that whenever you have an unhealthy passion to make money, what is mm. likely to happen is you are going to trade the other things that matter in your life in exchange. Mm. Money is a master, is a type of a master, and is a master because it will always make you choose. Uh, it doesn't want to have rivals. So it will often, if you don't put money where money belongs, money will make an attempt to um, overtake your passion and overtake your focus and cut you out from every other important interest in your life. That's why the only thing that God made a comparison with when he talked about lordship was mammon, was money, mm. right? So... Money has a way of overtaking 
uh, and consuming the focus, the passion, the attention, and the affection of people. Why am I saying this? If you don't place money where it belongs, you will hurt those you love because you are going to ultimately start to make decisions that despise the relationships that matter to you, that, that devalue the, the people that matter to you and move you in a direction different from even what you prefer to experience in your future. So don't have money buy at, at all costs. Don't do it. Mm. Don't have a posture that tries to earn at all costs. You are going to give up something for you. And what you end up giving up will matter so much it will hurt you. I can tell you for free, after years of counseling so many people and then generally being older and observing the way of the world, that's the first thing I would say to you. Money is a master and it seeks to become the Lord of all. So it's going to really um, try to make you give up on other things that matter to you, like your parents, your siblings, your schoolwork, your education, your career. It's going to work hard to cut those things off if you have an unhealthy focus on money. But is money bad? No, money is not bad, but money is not meant to be worshipped. How does money come? Money flows in the direction of value. So if you know that I want to rise to become a person who can help my family or who can um, make a difference in the world, I want to earn. It matters to me to earn and to be financially um, you know, prosperous as the years go by. That's a great desire. But don't worship money and don't make it at all cost. In fact, don't make anything in your life at all cost. I must have a relationship at all cost. I must grow my Instagram following at all cost. I must make more money at all cost. You know, no, don't do that. Don't make anything at all cost or else you're going to get into trouble. Money flows in the direction of value. So start to ask yourself, what competencies and skill sets can I really begin to grow that will make money flow in my direction? Number three savings makes sense saving makes sense my father taught me this and his father taught him it's the simplest thing in the world but it's so powerful the reason many young people um get into trouble is they're looking for big one big money coming boom you know uh, but how you grow through true wealth is you save and then you trade with money you invest money. If you, so if you master financial intelligence from your youth, you can actually be prosperous. First, find skills that you can exchange money for, go to coding school, become a product developer, and you can earn. You know, Go to a fashion institute and become a designer. You can earn. Learn to make up, you can earn. Learn to edit and proofread books for authors, you can earn. Too many ways you can earn. And that is the responsible, honorable thing to do. And then as you begin to earn, save, invest, your money will grow. Mm, beautiful. Thank you so much, Ma. Don't let money be your master. Uh, money flows in the direction of value. Wisdom tips. Don't, don't forget it as a young person. You know, sometimes when we keep talking to young people and it looks as if, oh, it's because, you know, they already have the money. See, Everybody didn't just start, you, you know, like this. And, and, and the falsehood that the world is preaching mm. is that is this rich, quick scheme. The, 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 the cars that your father didn't drive until a certain age, you want to drive it in your, at 18. You know, the houses they did not buy before a certain age, you want to live in that house now. That's money being your master. The now, 
do it at all costs, no matter what the consequences. Yuridiki has given us a, that wisdom. See, understand I think that, that. That's the third big thing. Yes. Yes. What you just is, said is the third big thing. Don't you have to be from instant mm. gratification? Yeah. Yes. Life is in faces. Life is in faces. So understand it. And you know, she, she measured what she was defining life to us. She made us understand it. Life is a gift. Life is a journey. Understand life as a journey. And understand that you're also in warfare. So the devil will also make sure that you Bible says that the life of a man does not consist in the abundance of things he possesses. You, you know, he wants you to focus on the possession at the expense of your soul. Anything you do at the expense of your soul is not worth it. It's, it's critical we sit down, understand the processes that God has made available in our journey. And Kia, so you know, she mentioned it so, so emphatically, and please don't forget it. That see, when God speaks to you about your future is an invitation to a process. It's a process that makes you a valuable person. And money will flow in the direction of that value. When you become valuable, money will flow in the direction of the value that God has made, how, how valuable God has made you over time. Wow, DDK, it's been an honor. It's been a beautiful, in fact, it's been a beautiful, I, I think personally the session was for me because I, I, I was just, getting a lot of wisdom tips from this our conversation today a lot of things that you know she emphasized on wisdom your error margin will reduce if you would apply would yes. hold on to wisdom you yes. hold on to wisdom don't just become yourself with wisdom and you realize that you are able to go through life the way God has planned for you and you experience triumphs and successes in your life. Ooh. Last question. Wow. 